Bonjour and welcome to your ears to this week's French Football <laughs> Weekly podcast. Uh, my name is Chris, I am your host and uh, as you probably have heard from that chuckle, I've got some people with me. Um, I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to go men first this week just to change it up. Uh, good evening to Jez and Rich. Hello gentlemen. Hi. Good evening. And of course Phil, we wouldn't forget you would we? Good evening Phil. Good evening, not all men. No, not all men. Absolutely not. Uh, right. We've got um, a slightly sort of uh, rejig show tonight because we've just got so many talking points from so many of the games. So we're going to kind of focus on two a little bit heavily uh, and then segue into uh, a little bit of each as we go through. So let's um, let's start with a thriller. Um, and I'm going to go to Jazz first of all. Jazz, the opening game of the weekend from last week's Liga fixtures saw uh, Leon host Monaco. Um, we kind of anticipated there'd be goals because Leon are playing, of course, and there were goals. But last minute drama, 95th minute winning free kick from Captain Nabil Fakir, securing a 3 2 win for Leon. Um, I'm just going to let you go for gold here. Where do you start? What a, what a game of football. It just proves Liga is dreadfully boring and dull, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, another low scoring, nil nil heavy weekend. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was a great match for the neutral, and I guess for Lyon fans as well, less so for for Monaco fans. But um, I mean, it was there was sort of a mixture of uh, some really good quality and some um, less so, certainly on the defending side, which you kind of expect from from Lyon this season. And I suppose you have to say, to an extent, we're coming to expect from Monaco who. Um, I mean, but both teams are still very much in, I think, transition periods for different reasons, and they're both sort of struggling to adapt. Lyon's results probably reflect that in that they're sort of um, drawing a lot, giving away winning positions. Monaco, um, we've discussed before, arguably the their sort of start to the season before the last international break was reasonably flattering for them. The results were better than the performances indicated and possibly it's sort of catching up with them a little bit now. Um, yeah, um, the, the bottom line is though, they would have got something out of that match. I mean, Lyon would have considered themselves unlucky not to win it considering they hit the woodwork think four times definitely at least three um one of them due to a spectacularly bad mistake by by Subasic um but then Lopez almost um matched him by almost giving Monaco a goal late on um but really the difference between the two teams ultimately was Fekir who, who had a blinder um two goals and an assist and yeah stepped up with a very very last minute winner um he at times you know although diaz is, is doing well and has got i think seven goals and oh i thought it looked fantastic as well um fekir does seem to be more or less carrying that team at times this season um and the change in you know basically since he had that bad the the torn ligament injury a couple of years back he looked like he was never going to become the same player that, that he was on his way to becoming beforehand but the change this season is is immense um, I don't know if it's the responsibility of the captaincy the the fact that he now has to sort of step out from the shadow of people like Lacazette and you know maybe even Tadiso who's quite a strong character um, but Fekir has been excellent so far this season and without him I don't think Leon would have got that win no, no, I agree. I, I was going to come back to him and, and give uh, Rich an opportunity to talk for Kia, but I'll, I'll switch over to him instead now, Rich, as soon as he's on, on the subject. Um, it's, it's, uh, I've always wondered this. Where do you see Nabil Fakir's best position? Because um, there's, there's two things that really wind me up about, uh, this is going to sound really pretentious, but something that really winds me up about FIFA, the game, that is. Um, he's, always, uh, he's always put in the wrong position on that game. And his name isn't in commentary, and it really bugs me because I've got an OCD thing about signing players with names. But all jokes aside, um, where, where is his best position? I mean, is he a, is he a number 10? Is he a wide man? Is he the centre forward that, 
that Leon needs. And what do you make of the kind of the rebirth of him? I know you didn't sort of get a chance to see too much of the game itself, but he does look, as Joe said, a, a player revitalised and fit is more important, I guess, at this stage. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to touch on where I think his best position is, I don't necessarily think he has the out-and-out pace to be to be pushed too far out wide. I think we've seen sort of two, almost two iterations of, of, of Fekir. I think we saw him sort of pre- and post-injury. Before the injury, you know, he was playing alongside Lacazette. Um, you know, we, we saw a, a really exciting player, um, you know, full of skills, full of tricks. Um, full of confidence, willing to run up players. I think what we've seen post-injury and obviously with the captaincy role and all the changes that have happened at Lille is a, a very quickly matured uh, Fekir. Um, I think he plays a little bit deeper now. Um, whether he's still got it at the back of the mind because it was obviously such a nasty injury, he's perhaps lost a little bit. You could say he's lost a little bit of pace. But what he's picked up in, I think, is his vision. I think what we've seen is his ability to to pick out players, pick that pass um, that maybe before his injury he wasn't doing. He was trying to take on perhaps a little too much by himself. Um, I, I do think that giving him that captaincy has turned out to be quite an inspired decision. Um, I was one of, I think, quite a few, I think, that doubted why you would have picked and, and lumped Fekir with all that responsibility. Bearing in mind you really needed him to focus on, on getting his form back. But he's utterly thrived on that. Um, it's just it's just brilliant to see. I, I was really, really concerned um, last season that we weren't going to ever see the the sort of very best of Fekir again. Um, so I'm delighted so far to have been proven wrong. Um, and it's just, I think it's testament to himself, really. He's worked hard, really, really hard to get back to, to full fitness, get his form back, get his confidence back. And he's adapted. You know, he's been given this new responsibility. He's been given a new position. And he's he's worked at that. Um, and, and, yeah, it's great to see that he is back to his very best. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more with everything you've said there. And apologies, listeners, uh, my uh, my video game, um, OCD-ness, doesn't need to creep into the pod, but I couldn't resist. Um, Phil, take us away from, uh, from Leon for a second. Um, Monaco, obviously looking at this game as a whole, it's, it's hard to judge where they are at the moment. As we said earlier, there were a few mistakes, a few slip-ups. Um, but the question I've got for you, it's a bit of a loaded question, but is it because it come down to the fact that they simply don't have a centre-forward unless Falcao scores that's going to get mm. goals? Because um, we saw Keita Balde, who's a player I watched in, in Italy for Lazio, he's a hugely talented player, but unfortunately he's not called Kylian Mbappe. Is that going to be the biggest thing that's going to hold mm. Monaco back? Well, I think that was I think that was his debut start, although he's come on a couple of other times. It it was a slightly strange team selection. Obviously, if Falco's out, Falco's out. You've got to do something about that. But just elsewhere, it looked. Um, I think uh, Congolo got his debut at left back. It, and I was wondering if they were kind of looking forward to the Besiktas game, uh, which will be happening tonight. But obviously, you wouldn't look past a game away at OL for that. It just seemed a little strange. It didn't really seem to gel very much. You could see the, you know, the the defenders glaring daggers at each other every time something went wrong. It's, I mean, they do have a lot of scorers from elsewhere, often the centre backs, um, and you know that's something. Oh dear, have we lost somebody? Anyway, um, that's something that, you know, it does feel like this just isn't quite gelling yet. We did get a question, you know, can you see Monaco's form improving from um, Liam, uh, who is, this is Liam on Twitter. And yes, because they're very good, but they're going to have a tough run of games because obviously they've got these um, two games against Besiktas coming up in amongst um, you know their uh, their league commitments. So it's going to be tricky. But welcome back. Um, you know, it, this was a case where you did think all the time that Lyon had another Rick in them, so Monaco could come back again. Our good friend Tarek Lafourse number twelve on Twitter. Um, just said to me in Twitter, the, the the only reason Monaco couldn't come back a third time was because Fekir scored with the last kick of the game. I had money on 3-3. I'm sure a lot of other people did as well. So I think this was a really chaotic match. It was great fun for the neutral. It was probably absolute 
um, pain and agony for fans of both clubs. But it was, in a sense, uh, slightly outside the uh, the normal trends, maybe um, that it was just a a, a great uh, a great fun evening of not very good defensive organisation and some cracking goals. I think we've we've discussed probably almost every season of the Monaco project, except tellingly last season, where I think it's probably the only time that Jardins had the same team pretty or the same squad to work with pretty much for two seasons in a row. And you know, look what he did with it, winning winning the league. Um, you know, every year it's gonna take an adjustment period if they sell all their players, but particularly the the players that they've lost um, during the summer and not just the quality of the players but the quality of the play between them so you've got you know Mendy and Lamar were working so well together on the right Sidibe and and Silva were, were fitting together so well on the left Fabinho and Bakayoko in the middle and they've lost you know at least one player at every and obviously Mbappe and Falcao as well so they've lost at least one player in sort of every kind of position or formation that ticked so I, I think there's, it was inevitable that there was going to be there were going to be issues there and, and arguably that they're in a better position than than possibly Jardim would have expected them to be in at this stage um, but I, I definitely think that there's sign there's reasons to be optimistic I think um, for me, Ronnie Lopez has, has been one of their best players this season. I have served. I've, I was never convinced about him at, at Lille, at Man City, wherever else he's played. But I think this year he's been excellent. I think Balde looked really good actually on on, um, on Friday. Um, I don't think uh, necessarily a, a role sort of by himself up front is for him. But um, I thought he, he linked play well. He looked strong. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, there's. There's reasons to be cheerful, but um, a couple of the players that, that did start, I'm not sure what they were doing there. And I, I definitely think Jardim was, was uh, prioritising um, the tonight's match, match against Besiktas. Yeah, yeah, I think you make a, a very fair point then, and we will touch briefly on those other Champions League or European fixtures in a, a short while. So that was a, a good result for Leon to open up the weekend with a bit of a thriller. Um, here's the part where we kind of skip around some games. Um, so quickly on Dijon PSG, um, Phil, let me come to you on this one. Uh, a game of two Thomas Mounier goals, one included uh, a last-minute winner. Don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, we also saw a, a Benjamin Jeannot screamer, which I, in all the time I've supported Lorient, I've never once said before he left. Um, and, uh, and we saw a largely lethargic PSG for spells, I thought. Um, and Dijon, I mean, they're gutted. They will be gutted, won't they? Because they fought so hard and deserved the point they looked to be getting in the yeah. 87th minute before Munier went and scrambled in the most, well, it was just the scrappiest of winning goals ever, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was gutting. And um, they held out really, really well for like 70 minutes before the first goal went in. And then you're thinking, oh God, that's, in a sense, that's them done now but to come back with that and it's a it's a wonderful wonderful strike 87th minute and they thought they were going to be you know get points off the champions and then just to be kind of nailing the coffin in the in injury time with the second goal from, from the right back I mean it was it was an odd again PSG looked very kind of again disjointed another slightly odd uh, kind of selection there from memory. Danny Alves was playing in midfield because of the absences of Verratti and Motta, which tells you something about <clears throat> possible areas where maybe strengthening should have happened. Um, Draxler was back there as well. It was, you know, it was quite a doughty performance from Dijon. Obviously, you'd expect they had like 33% possession at home, but they really had a, a go. And I think that was what kind of startled PSG a little bit. You know, it was kind of 15 shots to 18. So they were they were really, you know, pushing forward and trying when they could. And they really deserved that, uh, that equaliser. But then to be done at the death, it was it was a, a kind of a gutting, gutting result for them. 
Yeah, I did feel for that. And if you haven't seen that goal, do look it up. It's uh, it's a wonderful strike from Jeannot. It's one of those ones that you catch on a Sunday morning on a park pitch and it ends up in somebody's garage um, or it ends up in the top corner. And this one uh, left Ariola completely stranded. So wonderful goal. Um, we'll move on to uh, another. We'll, we'll kind of scoot briefly past. Please, uh, panellists, stop me if there's anything you want to say. But um, Khan... Losing at home to Angers, another good result for Angers, away from home, Togo, Cambay mm-hmm. and uh, Fulgini with a 2-0 victory there. Uh, and Gangomp Ren will come back to uh, shortly, or will be revealed, but a 2-0 win for Gangomp, which will uh, lead on to something later. Um, Lille and Trois. Um Rich, did you want to mention this game? Uh, I'll, I'll pick on you for this one. We've kind of gone over Bielsa Lille time and time again, week after week. Um, <laughs> 2-1 up with seconds to go, penalties awarded, um, Ed, or Edgar Lee was sent off, um, Nian stepped up, tucked away the penalty after Dobion had put Twy ahead, it has to be said, and a 2-2 draw. Uh, we said last week anything other than a victory against Twy could put the pressure on Bielsa even further. He's still in the job, he's still there, but surely that pressure is, is really on now. It has to be. The licence that they've given, well, so, well, first and foremost, the sort of banners and, and praise they gave themselves for securing his services in the first place and then the licence they'd given him to, you know, for, for, for league and standard anyway, freely spend, completely overhaul the squad, implement his own policies on what he wants from his starting eleven and what he wants from his squad um, and then he's putting out teams that are performing as they have done. You know, we had the Opening 3-0, three, three I think they beat Nantes on the opening day, um, which you know was a very, very impressive win, but obviously um, was a bit of a fluke because since then, I don't believe they've put in anything close to a satisfactory performance. Um, so this has to put the pressure on. The problem that, that the, the Lille board have got is... Well, basically, the problem, what I've just laid out, is they've 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 they such pomp about his arrival, and he's spent so much. They can't do nothing. They can't do anything but, you know, give him the time, give him the 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 games to to turn this round. Um, I'm not one of Bielsa's biggest fans. Um, I, I think there are a few others amongst us as well that that believe he's been given a lot more praise for his work than he's perhaps been due. Um, and I think this is further evidence of that. Um, you know, the decisions he's made now look very foolish and actually are looking like they could be posing Neil some serious problems this season. Mm, yeah, problems um, certainly are, are there and um, it does make you wonder what what's being said uh, behind the scenes there and, and what the, um, the sort of the project um, is is looking like come the uh, come the end of the season? It'd be interesting to see where it is. If of course Martello Bielsa is still there. Um, okay, so a good result for Twa has to be said. So well done to them. They are proving that they uh, have certainly learnt a thing or two since being relegated two seasons ago. Um, speaking of relegation, that brings us nicely onto Mets. Sorry, <laughs> Jess. It's too easy. Um, <laughs> I said last week that I was quite intrigued to watch this one, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure you didn't, unfortunately. Um, but a 3-1 victory for St Etienne, and it started so well. But ultimately, the last 15 minutes kind of cost your boys, didn't it? What did you, what did you make of the 3-1 victory for the home side in the end? The, the frustrating thing this year is that Mets are, for the most part, playing much better football than last year. Um, but having very little to show for it um yeah the first half we were solid defensively we got our goal um Santetian sort of helped us out by being pretty bad and were booed off and I think got quite a rollicking at, at half time and, and were better second half but we still looked relatively comfortable um and, you know, even even after the equaliser, I guess we'd have taken that. And then sort of the, the last five minutes or so went particularly badly. Um, we lost. We ended up playing with 10 men because we'd already made all our substitutions. And then um, Matteo Udo kind of summing up our season um, tore his ligaments. And poor kid, he's 21. That's the, He missed practically the whole of last season doing the same thing. So... Um, you know, I hope he manages to recover from that. Um, give away a penalty, 
save the penalty, give away a goal from the resulting corner, and then you know the third goal final sort of on the break as we're, as we're trying to get back into it. Um, it's just frustrating because we feel like we're not that far away, but nothing's going right for us. I'm not saying it's all just bad luck, but it feels like we need some kind of break somewhere along the line. But um, bottom line is that president gave um, Hinchberger two matches, Saint-Étienne and Dijon. So I assume that means that if we were to win against Dijon, he'd stay a little longer. Um, I don't know. I'm torn because I think he's a very, very nice guy. He's an, a mess. He's an absolute legend at mess. And I can't, it's really sad, but um, I read an article last year, I think, about um, the sort of hidden side about coaches being sacked and, you know, people bringing these huge banners saying, you know, fire the manager and all that. And they had quite a lot of quotes from him talking about when he was sacked at Tour and saying, you know, when you're not one of the, I think it was Tour, when you're not one of the top managers, this is a livelihood. You're losing your job. You've got a family to go back to. And it was actually a really, really moving interview. And it just, I keep thinking about that and thinking, you know, for, for Mess, the club, it's probably the right thing to do to get rid of him. But as I said, it's kind of hurting a club legend and also hurting a very decent human being. And, you know, obviously that's the case. That's the case with hundreds of coaches, but it's, you know, it's sad, but it's, it's business. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no friends in, uh, in business these days. Is there? It is a tough, tough job, but um, yeah, nevertheless, uh, again, credit where where juice and etienne did well to turn that game on its head and continue their uh, free scoring form i don't think i ever thought i'd use that phrase on this podcast but still uh to lose certainly not free scoring side uh, did get the one goal needed to beat amia in the end i need the law back on the score sheet um, which will be a relief for him uh 40th minute winner in a game that saw uh, grano also sent off for two yellows for amia in the last minute um and then on the sunday um there's, there's probably a lot to say about Strasbourg, so we'll come on to them in a second. Bordeaux and Nantes played out a 1-1 draw. Um, Phil, we had a, I think we had a, a question didn't we, relating to Nantes and something that uh, Rich might want to come in on as well about this. The 1-1 draw, Malcolm, who else for Bordeaux, and, uh, and um, Nakuma with the goal for Nantes. Ranieri... He's, he's doing good things there, isn't he? And there's a lot of a lot of good good praise for for Ranieri and the job mm. that he's doing there. I think he's he's taken a team which obviously they they I think they finished ninth or tenth last season, but it was that kind of looked like a, a bit of a, a a bit of a, a fluke. What they're doing is they're now fifth, but only on goal difference they're equal on points with Saint Etienne. They're not really scoring, but they've got kind of joint best defence in the league with several other teams, yes, but they've only conceded six. And, you know, they are going out with some vim where necessary, but they do but they're playing a kind of a, a restrained and sensible football with the very occasional goal, which is um kind of not maybe what you might think of uh, a Ranieri side from what has been seen most recently, but it's working and what the question that came in with uh, this was actually came in several weeks ago from someone who's been paying attention, Josh Owen Morris, same name on Twitter. How far is the Ranieri train going to travel? Now, I think if they don't score more goals, they are going to struggle. But you know, you can still get up on um, up into the European places uh, without smacking them in all over the place as long as your defence stays solid. So I think. You know, they've got to be looking at that and thinking, well, it's possible um, if kind of disarray going on around them. So that should definitely be what they aim aim for. I mean, what I thought was kind of neat about this game as well is that Nakuma scored in the second minute of injury time in the first half. Malcolm scored in the 47th minute just after the restart. So technically, they both scored in the, in the same minute, but in two different halves. I like it when football Clever. Yeah, symmetry. I like that. Yes, yeah, very good, very good. Um, Rich, let me um, let me give you the Strasbourg game before we come back to uh, one other game to finish off the Strasbourg Marseille game. Um, I don't know if you managed to catch the highlights of this one, but an absolutely um, dull, drab, uh, pointless <coughs> farmer league game once again. Um, this is where I should have had my money for three three. 
Sure. Yes, okay. it was. It was so. I mean, it had everything, including uh, a goal for Mitroglou, um, which I never thought I'd ever see again. But he got the 88th minute leveller. Um, I was gutted actually for Kamara, isn't it, the keeper for Strasbourg, who had such a good game, and then he kind of just dropped that mistake in the last minute, and Mitroglou got the equaliser after Paye and uh, Marco Sanson put Marseille one nil and two one at the time ahead. Um, but yeah, Strasbourg so close and yet so far. Is this uh, does this kind of encapsulate in a result everything that's that's kind of right and wrong about Marseille, and and does it show that Strasbourg have got a fighting chance of staying in Liga if they keep on putting up these big performances in big games? This was a this was a per, uh, performance that perfectly encapsulated Marseille. Um, I'll go back to my Marseille strapline: entertaining rubbish. Um, you know, we can't use that again, Rich. We can think of something else. <laughs> said it before. I'll say it again. They produce some entertaining stuff, but my God, is it dreadful! Um, I, I mean, by and large, yeah, they probably should. Marseille probably should have won this, and they, they certainly could have had a couple more goals than they actually scored. I think a bit of wasteful finishing, also some decent saves from Kamara prevented that. Um, it was some great fighting spirit from Strasbourg. You've got to give credit to Marseille. You know, they went down. Um, they were 3-2 down. It was a, a deflected goal, um, which which took them out, took Strasbourg ahead. Marseille side of, of recent times, even perhaps earlier this season, may have, have just capitulated and 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 that was that that would have been that. But you know, they fought on, they got a fairly fortuitous fortuitous uh, equalizer, but got it all the same. But um, I would, on this game, like to give a little shout out to Adil Rami. For I mean, we we thought we thought the other we thought the other week um, that um, Patrice Evra put in one of the worst performances that we've seen from a left back. I would argue that Adil Rami um, something like put in one of the worst performances we've seen recently from a centre back because he was truly appalling positioning wise. He was all over the place. There was no pace there. You could make a very, very good argument that he he well he was certainly um, the deflectee, if you like, for two of Strasbourg's goals. Um, the, the the second one actually was a, a very good reaction header. I thought actually that really guided it into the top corner, so a super finish. Um, but he's just appalling. Marseille have to have to in January look at that defence because they cannot. I know I'm going to make myself look an idiot here, but I know positions in the league would suggest otherwise, but they cannot conceivably think that come the end of the season, they'll have Champions League football with a defence that, that still contains the likes of Rami and, and Rolando. Um, with, with of course, Abdenor to come back, oh, saviour that he is. Um, so, yeah, that, that performance Sunday night, it encapsulated everything that was good, everything that was bad about Marseille. Um, and and your, your second point, just briefly, I think, yeah, I think that does give Strasbourg some hope. Um, is this the second or third time they've they've scored three goals in a match? So, you know, as we've said, endless, endless times, you score, you give yourself a chance of staying up. They'd have taken a draw at home to Marseille without a shadow of a doubt before kickoff. They'll be frustrated that they, they didn't take all three. But... Um, you know, there's definitely some fighting spirit there from Strasbourg that they can take forward into future games. Yeah, yeah, well said. I wonder if Phil will tell me off if I say that Rami made a boo of himself in front of his girlfriend. Uh, no? Okay. I would, oh, say, I, got... I just, would just say one thing, actually, about Strasbourg. There was a, there was a, a horrendous double miss mm-hmm. from Strasbourg um, about five minutes before the Mitroglou equaliser. Mm. Um, I think, I can't remember who it was, was it Bahoken, the substitute? Yeah. Uh, hit the post from with the goal at his mercy, and then um, Terrier uh, blazed the blazed the follow up well wide with even more of the goal at his mercy. So, you know, unfortunate that the likes of Terrier, who's been in such good good goal scoring form for club and country late, couldn't have took that away because that would have obviously then given them the points. Yeah. I was going to mention that because um, you know you, you said Marseille did well to fight back, but I mean I think Strasbourg handed them the point with should have been 4-2 and then Kamara handed them the equaliser yeah I've been impressed with Terrier as well I think he looks a player and yeah he really um, does yeah they, they, they do have... could do with a player like that 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Leo could do with a lot of players like that, to be honest with you. But yeah, I agree. Um, okay, and uh, our final game that um, we want to sort of touch on a little bit more uh, in depth is uh, Phil's beloved uh, Montpellier. Phil, you can have your shirt, your say in a minute. But I'm going to start with Jez um, because Jez, I want to get I want to get the Nice perspective from you before I get give Phil a, a moment of glory. But um, what what do you make of Nice? Because 14th in the table this season now you could have said at the start of the season you know in the Champions League a lot of new signings to blend in um, so much going on at the club there was the, the Seri stuff there was the, the Schneider stuff coming in Balotelli you'd never know what's going to happen there um, Lucien Favre's future was up in the air for a period of the summer lots going on but everything now seems to be settled the transfer window shut the European adventure is over and yet, it's still something just doesn't feel quite like it did last year. Um, is, is that fair in, in a 2-0 defeat at Montpellier? Kind of perfectly encapsulated that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's almost as if they've, they've kind of done a deal with the devil where they, they did their, the same as last year. Their match against Monaco, they sort of sucked up all this Monaco um, pressure, then hit them on the break four times, scored four goals. Um, and they're sort of in a few other matches it feels like they're getting a taste of their own medicine where they're kind of dominating they're making a hell of a lot of chances for themselves and then they're being picked off and you know at risk of sort of annoying Phil and belittling Montpellier's performance which I'm definitely not um I think the last three games they've been fantastic taking sort of five points and finishing unbeaten against last year's top three um nice had so many chances to, to win this match um you know they came up this will this will hurt you chris but they came up against a, a superb leconte in goal um and then and then yeah had pick, picked nice off with a with a couple of um well one blinding finish and another one an, an excellent break and um i don't know what it is that that is different to last year you know maybe last year they were they did play great football but possibly the the position flattered them a bit and this year I, I don't think they're as bad as their position suggests mm. um over the course of the season I still think it will it will level out I, I, I certainly don't think they'll be struggling but they also don't want to give themselves or give the other you know their, their sort of European rivals too much of a head start either yeah I think that what Jeff says I mean it's kind of when you look at the the numbers of this match that Nice should not feel they're going to be gutted about the result but it wasn't a bad performance from them they had eight shots on target which made you would think yeah that's not that interesting the Opta was tweeting about there's been only 530 matches where you got eight shots on target as an away team and there's only been 10 clean sheets. You know, they, they were talking up Lecomte's amazing performance because it was so unusual that Nice did have, they had most of the ball, they had most of the shots, they were good shots as well. They came up against one of uh, a goalkeeper having one of those kind of state of grace matches and they didn't score. And as Joe says, they got hit twice and because Nice hadn't scored, they had no uh, comeback against that. So I think it was, I mean, it was a, uh, a great game for Montpellier. Um, so the the first strike, Sessegnon strike, obviously was great. The second goal, which was a kind of the, a great break, break and, and pass and move, uh, was actually in Benza set up by Sambia. Those subs, they both come on as subs like three minutes prior to that. So they had really got into the game so quickly and work together to get that second goal to put it out of put it out of sight so that was very reassuring given that when we saw the team lineup before it started 5-2-3 is not a formation I think lots of us are familiar with but that's what that's what they went with so it's a slightly strange situation noticeably it was all the front three that got uh, that got replaced um, so it's going to it's still work in progress but yeah the three matches they've just had were the three where I was thinking they're getting nothing from this and then they're going to be in the relegation zone. And in fact, as Jess said, five points unbeaten. A really kind of positive move forward um, to take them on to you know, their next match on Friday, which is away at Saint-Étienne, which should therefore be very interesting. 
I will be watching that, I have to say. And uh, have you, because obviously I know this is the key question that all of our listeners are waiting on, Phil. Have you bought the pink shirt yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet. I'm thinking. Okay. I'm, I'm also thinking. Um, it was actually, this is useless trivia to people who don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, that shirt was actually available to buy. It's a Nike um, template shirt, as you can get for Sunday League teams. And I was very, very tempted to put my Sunday League team in this year. But then I realised if we're as bad as we've proven to be, wearing pink shirts is not going to help that. So I decided not to. Probably a good move. But it is a, a lovely a lovely shirt. That was in yeah. aid of Breast it's, Cancer Awareness? Was it? Yes, October Rose, which is Pink October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So both of the Montpellier teams are playing in pink shirts for all of their October games. You may have seen the wonderful scarf being ported by Mikkel Desacarian on the sidelines. And also that explains the pink umbrellas pre-match for anyone who was concer- confused why it didn't appear to be raining. Um, so yes, it's uh, their special kind of charity shirt and so they are available and yes considering getting one um mm. also because the women's shirt is actually cheaper and this time seems to be sensibly sized so i can actually you know benefit from my female privilege on that front happy days happy days mm-hmm. i'm montpellier making dreams come true um good stuff and uh, and yes that's us in your first goal was a belter an aid of a small deflection, but it doesn't take away from the fact it was a rocket. So, yes, very, very good, uh, very, very good strike and a very good win for Montpellier. So, uh, well done them. Um, right, so that was the week weekend, I should say, that was in Liga. Um, very briefly, we're not going to give you the full table, but PSG are still top. Uh, six points clear of Monaco, St Etienne a further two points back from them, along with Marseille and Nantes with Lyon in the top six and 16 points down at the bottom. Sorry, Jez, Metz still bottom and three points. Uh, Dijon, Strasbourg, both on six, as are Amiens and Lille and Rennes, all the way up to 15th, which segues us nicely into this week's Grand Debat. Um, Mr Rich Allen, I am going to come straight to you. And uh, I'm just going to sort of set this up by saying we mentioned earlier on that Gangomp uh, turned over your beloved Ren on Saturday night. Diallo and Jimmy Brion. You know it's bad when Jimmy Brion's on the score sheet. Sorry, I had to go there. What is going on at Ren? Take, take us through the events of the past 48 hours if listeners haven't heard what's going on. Uh, it's it's a shambles. It's a, it's a bit of glorious mess, to be perfectly honest. Um Last couple of games, well, I go back to um, the previous game, which was a, a home defeat to Calm. There were protests from the the, the, uh, the fans, uh, a group of the sort of hardcore ultras stay behind after the game, demanding to speak to people. Uh, a few players tried to, to sort of talk to them uh, to no great avail. Uh, basically, you know, fans have had enough. Um, absolutely dire start to the season uh, worst start for quite a few seasons one win two, uh, three draws sorry and just a whole bunch of you know, terrible performances after a pre-season that promised so much um, you know some really good signings positive signings um, but no one has delivered players on the pitch haven't coaches off the pitch haven't board away from the ground haven't um, and and re- essentially it's sort of crescendoed and to the point now where there are some sort of serious protests going on. So there was then the defeat at the weekend away at Gangon, um, got a local derby. Um, Gangon seemed to have this sort of hoodoo over us. Um, obviously they beat us in, in, in two uh, Coupe de France finals recently. Um and they just seem to find a knack of just getting under 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 the Rem players' skin. So credit to them. First off, it was a good good performance, but they didn't have to do much. Uh, it was yet again another pretty tepid, pretty um, you know un, unadventurous performance from Ren. Um, so what we had after the game, then following day, um, I believe it was members of the the RCK, the Rose on Celtic Cop, which are the main ultra group. Um, of Wren, um managed to get onto, <laughs> actually managed to break into, I suppose, the stadium and the training ground, displaying some various signs um, along the lines of, of get out and you know, depart. Not you know, your, I think 
staining the colours or something like that. Um, and from that, um, a couple of, of news agencies of varying uh, repute took upon that to declare that the sacking of both Christian Gorkouf as coach and Rene Ruello as president was imminent. And some then took it on to say that it had happened. Some were then going, well, it's going to happen at a board meeting that was already scheduled to take place today being um, Tuesday. Um, so that was all, all seemingly, that was all seemingly done and dusted. Um, there were reports that the, um, the owner of the club, the Pinot family had met with former PSG sporting director, Olivier Leton, um, who is now linked to that, is it career, um, Kia Jarabchian, um, the sort of agent slash not agent. Um, he, was toad. Gonna, he, <laughs> he was going to come in supposedly um, as president and Christophe Gautier was going to be hired as coach. Um, and that, again, that seemed fairly set in stone. There was rumours that uh, Claude Puel was in, you know, maybe linked with the, the, the manager's job as well. And then late yesterday afternoon, Rene Ruello turned up at the training ground and looked very annoyed as to why there was a whole load of press outside the ground, asking him, you know, what, what are you doing here? You know, you're, you're out of a job, aren't you? At which he turned around and said, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I've just come from a meeting with the, the Pinault family. Uh, they know nothing. I know nothing. Basically, clear off. You're talking a load of rubbish. So that started to cast a little bit of doubt as to whether there was truth in this story. Um, board meeting then took place earlier earlier today. Um, followed then this afternoon with a, a press release from the club, interestingly worded, quite interestingly worded, to say basically dismissing the rumours regarding Rene Ruella. He is, you know, the board have given the 100% backing to Ruello as president. He will be remaining. Interestingly, there was no mention of Christian Gorkouf in that press release. Um, so it seems for now that Ruello will be staying. Who knows what's going to happen with Christian Gorkouf? Um, Ruello has, before all this debacle, gone on record to say that while I'm president, Christian Gorkouf isn't going to be sacked. And basically it's a case of he goes, I go. Or we, you know, we, we come as a package kind of thing. Um, so it will remain to be seen in the immediate short term what will happen with Gorkouf. Um, you know, he was the initial target of, of, of the fans' fury, but that's stemming further and further up the board. There's rumours that the Pinot family are not happy with what's happening with the club, considering what money was spent. Um, but it is a mess. Something has to change. Um, you know. We, we, we're not seeing any improvement, any change to the positive in the performance from the club. The one win that we've got was all thanks to a dreadful, dreadful Marseille performance. Um, you know, you're losing at home to Caen. You're scraping a draw at home to Dijon. You're losing away at Toulouse. This is not the form of a team who's going to be avoiding any kind of relegation fight. And, and to be perfectly honest, this team, the players they have, there's no reason why this season they shouldn't have been pushing for a top six place. Well, that that's that's out the window seemingly now. Now it has turned into this. This team could go down. It, it genuinely could. You know, we're not we're losing to teams that that in they themselves are, are relegation candidates or, or or will be deemed relegation candidates. So something has to change. For me, it, the first and foremost, as much as I, I like what he has done in the past for for Lorient. Christian Gorkouf was not good the first time he was at Rennes. He's not proven to be any better the second time he was at Rennes. So, for me, he has to go. Um, whether that means Ruello goes, who knows. But for now, it looks like he's staying. Um, so, we'll just have to see. I think just on the communique, which has got the kind of brusque efficiency that I used to enjoy seeing of the Bastia communicates occasionally. Um, obviously, he doesn't mention Gorkouf. He could still go. Obviously, these reports were teeing up. Who was it? Um, Galtier, Puel, and who was the other one? They were God. saying Guard could take over. It kind of usual suspects. I think the reason it 
is so brusque and it concentrates on Ruello is that he's he's the president and so he's a member of the uh, administrative council it's the administrative council giving the communique basically the press was going after one of their own they're the ones in a sense that employ and appoint the manager so this was by going by saying that it was going to be Ruello who was going as either as well as uh, Gorkov, that was kind of more impolite in a very formal French way of saying it than just saying they're going to fire the manager, saying they're going to, they've, they've saying they have got rid of their president. I mean, that was a bit, you know, that was uh, possibly a step too far for wherever this report started. Jeremy and I were discussing this on Twitter earlier. Lakeet printed it having seen a report in 20 minutes. 20 minutes was referring to the AFP having backed this up, but saying the RMC, RMC weren't saying it. Jez saw somewhere else that RMC were saying it. West France had it. it where did this report start that actually said René Ruello a été démissionné de ses fonctions? which is, has been removed from his position, which is the words that's used in all of these different articles. Where the hell did that come from? It just, it's baffling what's going on. I genuinely thought that had happened and then everything went a bit weird today. And it's like, what? How did that get into the press in the first place when it clearly wasn't, wasn't true? It is very strange. It's all very cloak and dagger, isn't it? Jez, um, let's give you your say on, on this whole affair as well. I mean, where, where does Ren go from here? And where, where has this all come from? I mean, is it sort of the, the changes in the summer that they made to the, to the squad? Is it, is it sort of the old stale element in that, you know, a coach is just hasn't got any new ideas? It's just, it's just been a mess, isn't it, from pretty much the start of the season onwards? Yeah, I think that there's two issues. There's the off the off the pitch off issues and the on the pitch issues. Um, on the pitch, I think, as I said before, I think Ren had one of the best transfer windows of any club, and I saw a few people saying Ren will be, you know, Ren will be, I think, a surprise outside tip to for a European place. I said, as far as I'm concerned, it wouldn't be a surprise, and they. You know they'd be having a disappointing season if they if they weren't challenging for Europe. I think they signed some excellent players, possibly again not an out and out striker. Maybe that's um, one thing they're missing. But you know some really talented midfielders, some decent defenders to add to the ones that they already had. They've now got a decent goalkeeper as well. There's no reason they should they shouldn't be doing better. And also said before, I do think Gulkuf is a bit of a busted flush. I think the last two three seasons. Um, I don't know. The last season at Lorient, you know, maybe that was sort of off the pitch issues as well. Um, but so I don't think he pulled up any cheese last year. I think he probably should have done better than he did last year too. And certainly this year, I think they're they're underperforming. Um, off the pitch, I don't know enough of the politics, but it is one of the clubs where there always seems to be sort of shenanigans. It's definitely one of the places where when there's a bad run, the fans seem to be keen to go and speak to someone, which is certainly a more genteel way of sort of Marseille, where they seem to resort to burning players' cars and that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know, maybe there's... Um, I wouldn't say there's too too much dialogue. I think dialogue's important, but I don't know, there seems to... The, non, the non-football side seems to be a bigger issue or a bigger preoccupation at Ren than, than some other clubs. Um, I don't think Ruello did himself too many favours with his huge rant about the, the poor refereeing um, the other day. Um, Gangon's first goal, it was a handball, but um, it wasn't like the hand made a difference. There was nowhere, no one anywhere near him. And... This is um, Diallo for his finish after a brilliant run and shot by Turan, which hit the post. Diallo was so on his own. If his hand hadn't been there, it would have just hit him in the chest and bobbled in anyway. It was a handball. It shouldn't have been given. But to um, to sort of blame everything on that as a smokescreen and for the president to have such a big rant about it was a bit strange and just seemed like there was more to it than that. So, you know, no smoke without fire. There's def- There's definitely something going on there. Um, but how and why the press jumped the gun and whether 
convert you know conversely them doing so actually saved Ruello at least temporarily we'll, we'll, mm. we'll see but things need to change definitely on the pitch off the pitch I, d- I don't I'm not well enough informed to say so Rich I have a better idea but on the pitch that um I do think Gorkov's days are probably numbered and probably rightly so despite everything I said about Hinchberger earlier yeah, yeah, I think you might be right. Um, just, just draw a line under it, Rich. Then one, one sentence. Where do Rank go from here? What do you see happening? Um, Gorkuf has to go. Gorkuf has to go. Uh, I, I was initially disappointed to hear Galtier linked because I was like, oh god. But actually, you know what? Right now, I take his organised but not attractive style of play. You know, he he'd be a he'd be a great sign to come in and steady that ship. Um, I know a couple of Rem fans are quite keen on that, if only just for the end of the season. Um, uh, he's not necessarily a manager I'd want long term, but he'd be the, exactly the kind of manager to come in, get everything organised, play in a manner which, you know, hopefully would just see us move move away from the fears of the drop. Um, but there's a huge though I mean he's got to think of himself as being worth more than you know a firefighting recovery expert well I, I don't think that's the thing as I don't think if you need a recovery to... expert then you know he wouldn't come in for bits out there oh god we've tried that <laughs> um we he he wouldn't come no he wouldn't come just for just for uh, just until the end of the season um he wouldn't I don't I don't think any of the managers linked would no. Um, the man that they'd be tempted to do is, is Stefan, who's the um, uh, reserve team coach. Uh, reserve team reserve team have actually had some pretty decent success of late. Um, so they may look at promoting from within. Um, How about Johan you know, Goku? <laughs> wherever he is. <laughs> wherever he is. No idea where he is at the minute. Um, but no, it, it's got to be changed. I mean, if Gorkuf hasn't gone by the, the Lille game this week, this coming weekend, um, then a- anything other than a win there means he, he simply must... I mean, he must go now, but there can be no other option but to, to get rid of him I mean, um, if, they, if they don't come away with three points on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this Saturday's game, Ren versus Lille, I think we're going to have to come up with a, a name for this. And I think the what the fuck it might be... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what about P forty five a co? That would also quite work. Le Sakik. Le Sakik, even better. Good. Yeah. There you are, listeners. Write in with your own. Yeah, that is very good. Le Sakik. I like that. Yeah, it is a massive game, isn't it, for both sides for for similar reasons in very different ways. But yeah, uh, that is a a huge, huge game to keep an eye out for. Um I guess that's our game of the week then. Um we're all kind of agreed that's the one we want to keep an eye on. Um it's Looking game of the down. week for, for for repercussions. It's not going to be mm. game of the week for any kind of quality. Not when, <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose fans fans of Marseille and PSG might suggest there's a, yes, a bigger game. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, that, and that could be any score, by the way. That game, couldn't it? Literally, could be fourteen right. three, couldn't it? Yeah. it? Just that could be anything. So yeah, I'd, I'd, maybe two games of the week then. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. Um, if we're coming into the Women's Champions League, uh, 14-3 were actually segues quite nicely into that. <laughs> yes, uh, well, please do tell us what's no, what no, um, going on. We had the second legs of the first knockout round last week. Um, Lyon, after a you know tricky 5-0 away win in, in Poland against Medic Konin, you know, really took their feet off the gas to win just the 9-0 at home, making that a 14-0 aggregate win. That's not unusual at this stage in the competition the hat trick uh, this time um, Ada uh, Hegeberg got the hat trick in the first leg it was Wendy Renard the centre-back who got the hat trick in the second leg which tells you pretty much all you need to know about Medic Conan's ability to defend set pieces so moving on from that which was always going to happen we had Montpellier's game which was much tighter because at Mosson they'd actually lost uh, 1-0 to Zvezda, uh, the Russian uh, the Russian team, who had won 1-0 via an own goal. So Montpellier had actually had a boatload of shots, 32 shots in, in the first game, but hadn't managed to score because um, the 
Ukrainian goalkeeper for Svezda did a really great job. So they were away in Russia and they won 2-0 um, with a much more measured performance, a much calmer performance. Uh, Svezda started uh, pretty brightly, got five shots in, you know, some dangerous looking chances in the first 30 minutes or so, but then faded off. Montpellier waited them out. There was a double from Sofia Jakobsen to win 2-0 and they are through to the next round where they will be facing Italy's Brescia, uh, which Montpellier is one of the unseeded teams uh, in the Women's Champions League. So Brescia uh, are just above the two Prague teams uh, in the seeded side of things. So they avoided any of the really scary people like Man City. Um, meanwhile, uh, Lyon will be playing Beek Kazigert, the Kazakhstan champions who I think beat Glasgow City on away goals in the last round so we're looking without meaning to be mean in any way to beat Kazigert but another 14-0 aggregate scoreline could well be on the cards there so those games are going to be in uh sort of early November so we'll be keeping an eye on those and hoping that both France teams go through to the next round Yes, yeah, keep an eye on that. Uh, lots happening in the Women's Champions League um, and across uh, the Men's Champions League as well, it has to be said. Um, we haven't really got a lot of time to go into things because we are running long, but we'll just mention that French teams are in action in both the Europa League and Champions League this week. Uh, Monaco in action as we speak against Besiktas. Uh, PSG are playing, who are they playing? Andelect. Thank you, Andelect. Um, and then on the... Uh, in the Europa League, um, Phil, have you gotten to hand Nice? Yes, so Nice are at home against Lazio, who recently were the first team to beat Juventus um, at home, by which I mean Juventus is home for, I mean, Optus, it was like 1872, something like that. So <laughs> they're in reasonable form. Uh, that should be a very interesting match. And the other of the early sittings on Thursday is OM versus Vittoria Grimaesh from Portugal. And then the later game is Everton versus OL, uh, the team that can't really score against a team that can't really defend. So <laughs> that could be absolutely cracking fun uh, as the late game on Thursday. Yes, yeah, that will be uh, entertaining. That'll be the one I'll keep an eye on uh, if I get a chance because I've got a cinema date, but I shall have a look afterwards. Um, okay, so before we wrap up this week's show, um, have we got a, a couple of questions that we can fire through or some, some ones we want to give a nod to in the, in well, the mailbag? Well, we, we've kind of been um, dealing with them as we go through about uh, Lyon, and we did get one from Ren from Simon Query, uh, Simtam on Twitter. Should Ren sack Gorka from Ravello? If so, who should replace? them which I think possibly was sent before Ren um, confirmed that they hadn't sacked either of them it, it's all very very up in the air I think as Rich said you know that uh, the three big names have been mentioned but who will come in that's going to be have to something we, we watch over the next couple of days and obviously that game at the weekend will be key key there Yes, yes. Um, what was the, um, did, was, did we have one question? I'm sure we had one question that was specific about something and I'm just looking it up now. Um, well, we had um, Sir Chips Keswick asking us what we like about um, the football experience in France. That was the one I was food. thinking of. Uh, yes. So let me just, uh, best part, so Sir best. Chips Keswick the best part of the French match day experience, best street food outside grounds, and he mentions the barbecues at Ren. So. Well, I'm going to leave galette, this one up to you guys. Galette sausies every day of the week. <laughs> that's, that's where you go. You go to Ren and galette sausies, they'll do you nicely. Forget about the football. Don't bother going for the football. <laughs> um, it's all about that galette sausies. Fair enough. Any other shouts from anybody else? Jez, anything you've particularly, you, you messaged me earlier on about uh, going for a little run in Nice. So would you class that as a nice attraction or to add to the match day experience? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, going for a run. <laughs> nice, the city is beautiful. And if you like running, then there's not many nicer places to do it than on the Promenade des Anglais. But I'm not sure if that's got anything to do with the match day <laughs> experience. Um I like. I don't partake myself, but I, I love the um, the fact that all, all the clubs have um, sell mergers 
um, outside the ground, and I love the smell of it and everything. In terms of match day experience, I just I think it's um, generally uh, in my experience more a lot more friendly and relaxed mm-hmm. and more of a sort of family atmosphere than, than English football, which has its good and bad points. Um, I think it's possible, you know, maybe that uh, less fraught, less taking it a lot less seriously atmosphere um, is a reason why the French league and French clubs abroad possibly aren't more competitive, but it also very much has its good points as well, as in that it's just... Um, I think a much more pleasant outing. I see you mm. to take your family, your kids to, whatever, that kind of thing. It's also a bit more pleasant on the wallet as well. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd agree with what Jez says because, I mean, you see kind of the, the ultra groups obviously really mean it. When you see the, the ends, the home ends, uh, standing up, waving their banners with the drums and flares, you know, that's different from what I, you know, I see on, on TV when I'm watching, watching a premiership. Game. But if you're in the side stands, everybody just kind of rubs along together. And maybe it's because Montpellier haven't been that good for a couple of seasons. But uh, you get used to, um, you know, mingling. Uh, I remember when they were pretty good and when we were in the Champions League and Arsenal came to visit and we were on the tram on the way to Marseille. There was a guy there, an Arsenal fan, talking to his mates. Going, oh, yeah, we're going to get heads kicked in. You know, it's going to be really violent. It's going to be whatever. And everybody else on the tram is just looking at them and going... <laughs> um, I felt like going up and saying, mate, you've got to be more worried about the police than the fans. Seriously. <laughs> uh, me and my friends, we were walking through uh, walking through the, the Bouvet area to get to the stadium. They heard us speaking in English and we got surrounded by people wanting to talk to us, say, Arsenal fans, Arsenal fans. And we're like, no, showed our shirts, we're Montpellier fans. <laughs> and they looked really disappointed because they wanted to meet Arsenal fans and talk to them because... Montpellier had never been in the Champions League before. So I think that kind of cool. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be, you know, bad things that happen. I'm not saying the ultra situation is completely perfect or anything, but it is much more, uh, much more comfortable. I think there are a lot of kids at the games running around and people, you know, the different fan groups mix in the stands as well. As long as you don't get in the way, you know, we're used to having OM fans, PSG fans, Saint-Étienne fans in the stands if the if the away end is unaccessible for some reason. So I think it is just a bit more relaxed, maybe, but I don't have a great deal of experience in going to kind of league matches in, in Britain. Um, otherwise, I got tear-gassed in Marseille before England-Russia, so that was... <laughs> My that other wasn't a highlight, I wouldn't imagine. Big ma- French match day experience, which was less recommendable, I'd say. Mm. The one other thing I'd add is that um, in England, I think um, they do a great business in in uh, chants, in witty chants. And I know the French were French Twitter yesterday was very excited about Spurs's tweet um, chant about who needs bell when you've got Sissoko? I can't actually remember what <laughs> oh, it was. I think it was to wake me up before you go, go. Um, That's very good. Um, I think France do a very good line in witty banners. And mm. uh, Lyon had uh, just the Lyon match alone against Monaco the other day, had three or four very funny banners. To, the only one I can remember offhand had... was 300 LED lights and absolutely nothing to illuminate the game. Mm. I think Toulouse also had like four different sets of coordinated banners, which it's basically a it's basically a press release if you put the the pictures next to each other. Um, they they take their banners very seriously, so that's another cool thing to look out for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. That I like that question. So, thank you very much uh, to that one. That uh, seems like as as good a place to kind of draw a line as as any, unless of course it would be rude of me to not ask, has anyone else got any other business? Uh, shout now or forever hold your peace. Uh, Phil, anything you want to wrap with at all? Uh, no, just apart from other games at the weekend to look out for, I'm not sure. Mm, I think the only other one that, that stepped off the page for me was, uh, I've forgotten it already, um, Mets Dijon. 
yeah. um, just for the obvious sort of element of both teams really need the points and uh, whether we're going to get a cagey sort of game or are we going to get uh, both teams going for the win type of game. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's probably the one I'm looking at, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, anything else? Or that, that's your – you happy with your lot there? All good. All good. There we go. Anything from you, Jez? No. Very no. happy. <laughs> <laughs> Delighted to see of Yes, indeed. Okay, super. Well, we will we'll draw a line. I'm slightly there. concerned that that you seem to be enjoying watching Mets with your recent records. I am Laurie, a bit on last year. I'm a little bit yeah. worried. Uh, next year it will be somebody else who is cannon fodder. I'm sure. Well, I'm still I'm still quietly sort of optimistic that Lorian will be back next year, so I can cheer them on as they go down another year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, although they have dropped off the pace recently, uh, for all you League Dirt fans, they're currently seventh. Um, so ever since I praised them on this pod, it's all gone a bit wonky. I think so we're I, seeing a theme here, aren't we, Chris? I think we might be. Um, maybe I'll support <laughs> Bastia. Oh no, wait, hang on a minute, that's not going to work. <laughs> Uh, anywho, yes. Um, one other business is that Falcao has just given Monaco the lead. You beat me to it. You. Hey. Yes. Sorry. Okay, there we go. So by the time you hear this, they'll have won 8 0 and everybody will be happy. Uh, so there we go. Right, we will draw a line under this week's pod there then. Uh, thank you all very, very much for listening as always. Uh, keep your questions and comments coming our way. Uh, feedback corner, if you will, is, is always open. And if you say nice things, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, if there's anything you want to feedback on the show, if there's something you like or something you don't like, let us know and we will try to uh, add to or take away accordingly. Um, you can follow us uh, at French FT Weekly on the Twitters, as all the kids say these days. And we're on that mainly SoundCloud is our probably your first port call to get this pod when it's released and if you check out our individual twitter accounts as well we will of course uh, retweet it um and uh, we will promise not to use enjoyable rubbish for a second time next week or entertaining <laughs> rubbish we'll we'll get rich on the uh, on the puns for another one for next week uh so until next week uh we will uh, wish you a happy weekend of french football and of course european midweek games and until then thank you to the panel and we'll speak to you very soon <laughs>